Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And today we are going to be talking about the literary genres of scripture. That sounds so exciting, Zach. (laughs) Yeah, especially the way you just said it. There's no no right way to say this. There's no way to make this sound interesting, but I swear it is. I swear it matters. Like, it really does, okay? Like, yeah, I know. I've been like, what are we going to title this? Like, (laughs) But this matters. So we're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Okay, so after that compelling introduction, um, how how do we explain this in a in a palatable way? Let's start with saying what a genre is, how you spell it, and what difference does it make. Well, let's think music. (laughs) That's an easy way to think of this. Cool. You got country music. You got rock music. You've got metal music. Don't even go down that rabbit hole. The subgenres of metal are unending and none of them make sense okay that's all i'm saying uh you got rap you've got classic rock you got you got all the stuff folk music and each one of them is just a little different they've each got they're like their own category it's a totally different thing one from the next it's all music right but I'm not going to listen to rock music and expect to hear the same things that I would hear in country music or in rap music. Okay. Um, and they're probably going to affect my mood differently. They're probably going to be – there's just differences. And I know how to listen to each one of them and I know what to expect when listening to each one of them. Okay. Right? Is that fair? Yeah. The Bible is not so different in that way. Um, the Bible is made up of many genres – of writing, many styles of writing. And the reason that is important to know is because we are so guilty of neglecting those genres when reading scripture. We You're, you're saying we typically just lump everything together and say what's if it means this here, then it's gotta mean that over there. We kind of re I mean we kind of just read everything the same sometimes, yeah. or, or we just assume everything is literal. Well, it's Bible. 
It's the Bible. It's the right. word of God. It's true. Right. And so when we say it's true, that doesn't mean literal. <laughs> Things can be true and figurative at times, right? Okay. Or like, so we have to break down why each of those things matters and how we should be reading them, how maybe sometimes we screw up when reading them. And so I've got seven, I think seven. How many did I write down? Eight? Maybe I did eight. Um, yeah, I did eight. Okay. Different genres. There's more than that okay. in scripture. Um, and we can kind of just do the the little plus category at the end and just be <laughs> like, oh, and these, but we really don't have time. Right. Uh, and maybe we can talk about those as we go. But I just wanted to talk about the main ones because okay. once you start to realize like, oh, there's lots of these, that's kind of all we're trying to get you to understand here is – I shouldn't just read every book of the Bible the exact same. And I shouldn't just assume everything is always literal. And I shouldn't assume everything is always figurative. Right. And I shouldn't, you know, like it, you have to use nuance and context and judgment. Sometimes common sense. Common yeah. sense when reading the Bible. And you're also going to realize how many people talk about the Bible incorrectly once you start okay. to once you start to understand these different categories. So what are the seven or eight genres? Um yeah, so without breaking them down just yet, uh the ones we're going to talk about today are uh narrative, okay, poetry, wisdom, prophecy, gospels, parables, epistles, and apocalypse. Okay. Or apocalyptic literature. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's seven. Did I do seven? I think so. No, I thought I did eight. Okay. Well, maybe I messed up. No. No. Maybe I messed up. Narrative, okay. poetry, wisdom, prophecy, gospels, parables, epistles, apocalyptic. Eight. Okay. Eight. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, there are a few others, but like I said, we'll kind of mention those, you know, okay. as, as we think about them. or Come or, to them at the yeah. end. Right. And they're kind of similar to some others. Well, and even some of these in this list, there's going to be overlap. Gotcha. But it's just... Right, because wisdom is always poetry. Not always. Job is wisdom. It's poetry. But it's also kind of a narrative. There are. The first two <laughs> chapters are narrative, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, like, there's overlap. Much of prophecy is poetry. Much of, not all. Right, and that's what a lot of this is going to come down to is that term "much of." Right, okay, gotcha. we're we're going to have to realize okay. there's there's nuance. There's always room for nuance, but that's why we have to, the big takeaway here, and we're just going to say it up front: is this is kind of showing you the value of not just reading through your Bible rapid pace and just going, "Okay, cool, I read it." That's not how you read the Bible. You're supposed to sit on it. You're supposed to chew on it. You're supposed to th not literally sit on it, not literally chew on it. See, look, I'm using figurative language. You're, you're to take time and really think about it and go, gotcha. what is it trying to do here? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so from the top, I, I, I kind of want to break it down into a, a couple categories. I want to talk about what each of these things mean. Yeah. I want to give a few examples of yeah. how that looks in scripture. And feel free to jump in whenever you want to. In any okay. Case. Then I want to say, where do we get it wrong? Okay. Like, how do we get it wrong? Right. And then some examples of right, that right, biblically. Right. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, the first one's narrative. Okay. And so examples of that, we got book of Genesis. Well, let, let's say what it is first. Okay. Let's say what it is first. So, uh, it tells a story of what happened. Okay. That's, it's that basic. It's just, yeah. it's explaining yeah. something that happened. Uh, you'll sometimes hear the term like historical narrative, right? Right. Um, which would be like a past narrative, whereas a narrative, a current narrative would be something happening now, right? Okay. Uh, but it's telling a story of something that happened. And the thing is, you can find spiritual lessons hidden inside that, right? Um, or it can simply provide context for the history of God's people. Um, that's what narrative in, in the Bible can do. Okay. It, it can serve yeah. it for spiritual purposes or it can just be laying the the kind of foundation so you understand the story of God's people. Um, examples, you were going to name a few. What do you got? Well, yeah, Book of Genesis. So that's, that's about events. Uh, uh, historical books, First uh, Second Samuel, First Second Kings. Yeah. Chronicles. So Genesis, though. There would even be chunks, though, that could you deem all of Genesis narrative? I think there is poetry in it as well. There are some songs that are mentioned. Um, and, of course, I think one of, the, one of the caveats on all of this is sometimes because we do present this uh, kind of, we just put it out there. Uh, we're left with a lot of people saying, oh, well, this is figurative, but this right next to it is literal. Like, right. for example, Genesis 6. Right. The sons of, uh, what is it? Sons of God mm -hmm. saw the daughters of men. Yeah. And so is that figurative? Is that literal? Right. And there are cases to be made on each side. And there are. In a separate podcast, we have said, you know what? It looks like it is literal. And the reason we say that it's literal uh, or that Randy and I would land on that is because when you look at the context of where those terms are used elsewhere in the Bible, like the sons of God, it always means one thing, and that's angelic beings, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So then we transfer that and go, oh, well, every other time it's used, it means that. It likely means that here too, right? Um, so... Context is big. Context is key through right. all this. But uh, I was thinking with, when you said uh, Genesis, there's some there's some controversy as to whether the first creation account is literal or if there's figurative language spliced in there. And I think gotcha. I think it's very yeah. fair to say that there is some figurative language spliced in there because it's trying to paint a picture for you, right? It's yeah. poetic yeah. in its nature. Yeah. Um, oh, it is poetry. But that doesn't mean it's still not true, that's right? right. That, and that's, that's right. That's the that's hard right. part about this is we have to wrestle with this and go, what is it doing here? Images, uh, which which is what poetry presents a lot, is can be true. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's not – True, false. It's literal, historical, slash, uh, true, conceptually, figuratively. Let's save that. We'll get there. We'll get. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll, we'll jump back because we got to gotcha. talk about poetry as well. Right, right. Um, but staying on narrative, other other books that would be considered narrative, the Book of Acts. Right. It's the story yes. of the early church of the disciples building the church directly after the resurrection of Christ. Right. Then you get sections of other books, like I know one of your one of your genres is epistles, but in Galatians, the first two chapters 
are by and large historical, historical narrative. First I did this, right. then I did that, then this happened, then I did that. Right. Let's try – okay, just for the sake of the listener, let's try and keep it broad category as much as we can. So like – because like we can find pieces oh, yeah. of each of these in almost every book, right. right? But like the question is like which ones are mostly – Right. You know what I mean? Because sure. like, like I'm going to find – yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. Um, with narrative, uh, another book that is by and large strictly narrative, the Book of Ruth. Yeah, yeah, it's a sto- yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a story. It's a story. It's but, the I mean, Book of Esther. There's it's wisdom. There's wisdom to be gained from it. We could say that there's wisdom literature in there, right? But by and large, it's a narrative. It's a narrative story. Um, Exodus, the Exodus account yeah. is it's an epic. It's yeah. an epic narrative. It's this big wild, fantastical story that just, it happened. And it's just giving you the history of Israel, right? Um, So the question is, where do we go wrong with narrative? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. In the way that we read it. I don't know. Uh... I, I think... I think we can read it so literally that we miss the figurative language in narrative okay. because there can be figurative language in narrative, be. right? right? Um, th- I think that we sometimes can miss the points that the author is trying to show because we neglect to see that the book has been written a certain way to say something special. Um, for instance – I believe the book of Jonah is a narrative story. I believe it happened, but I believe that it is written in a satirical way to really prove the point the author is trying to make. So I think that he probably overemphasizes some things and kind of some things are so fantastical and wild that it's it's there in that way to show you the the deeper meaning in the story. I was thinking about the book of Jonah. One of the other ways I think that uh, we go wrong is we look at a book like Jonah and our takeaway is the big fish. And that is such a minor part of the story. That is not at all crucial to what's taking place 
in the story or what the author is trying to communicate right, to us. Right, right. We focus on that one event that takes place in the story, but there is a moral to the story. There exactly. is a deeper meaning. Yeah. Even though it's a true story, right. even though it happened, there is a deeper meaning lying in there. There's a spiritual truth, like yeah. we said earlier, but we can miss that spiritual truth. Exactly. If we focus so much on the details, so much on the facts, yeah. right. we can miss the overarching point. Um, another thing I was thinking of is like, we've talked about trees. We did a whole podcast on trees. We've talked about them a lot. Um, trees are a common symbol for salvation or for life throughout scripture. And you'll find that that symbol, even in narratives, even in these just true accounts of what okay. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sea is often a symbol for chaos or destruction right. or yeah. Yeah. decreation, right? And you'll find that talked about in narratives, but here's the symbolic element in the middle of that narrative. And so if we miss that, if we go, if we just act like narratives have no room for figurative language, then we're missing things. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's narrative. It's okay. probably the most basic one we're going to talk about. So would it be safe to say that if you have a book that you recognize as narrative, one, you need to really focus on the events. What events are, is the book talking about? Because it's a history lesson in Because part. it is a history lesson. And then two, probably this is where you ought to approach it with, uh, I don't know if you ever learned the six W's, but go to it asking who, what, when, where, why, and then how, which ends with a W. You're you're going to see that exactly, what you just said, yeah. context, right? I mean, that's really what it, that is. It, yes. In yes. so many of these that we're about to talk about. It's true. You're going to have to always be asking that question. But here, those six W's really help you to get at the event. Yeah. And that's what narrative is trying to focus on, is the yeah. event. That doesn't yeah. mean there is no figurative language. Right. That doesn't mean that those other those other literary genres aren't present in the middle of narrative. But the whole – the overarching idea of narrative is it's telling you a story. Yeah. This happened. Yeah. And especially in scripture, typically, you ought to approach it saying, okay, where does this fit in the great narrative of salvation? In right. the, what God is doing to, to redeem the world from the fall of man. Right. Okay. Um, second one. It's poetry. Yeah. Poetry is fun. Yeah. And it gets even more complex. Like if, if poetry isn't complex enough in our modern world, well, poetry was different in the ancient world, you know? Um, but before we dig into that, I mean, I guess the idea is what is poetry? Like it, it's always kind of been what it is. It's word art. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's using your words in a way that they convey a bigger idea. And typically it's not as much focused on event as it is on the idea, right? It's yeah. the concept that really the poet is trying to get across. Yeah. I mean, in a way, philosophy is kind of poetry. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. like we don't really think of it in that way. But or, it's, or poetry is kind of philosophical. Th there you go. Maybe <laughs> that's the better yeah. way to say it. Um, but, you know, poetry uses vivid, figurative language uh, to convey ideas. Um, and it can be done through parallelism. And this is where we start to get into right. uh, those ancient forms of poetry. Parallelism is 
basically, uh, you see this in Paul's writings a lot, especially. Um, Paul will say one thing, and then he'll turn around and he'll say almost the exact same thing again. Um, now, nah, you know what? That may be more in like simile. That may be more simile. Yeah. Um, but parallelism is the idea that when you're reading the Bible, if you read something and then later you read something else and go, wow, that reminded me of that thing I read earlier. Right. That's on purpose. Yeah. And yeah. that's to that's to link those two things or to show that something's really important. So uh, do you have any examples of parallelism off the top of your head? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking for one right here. Um, so Psalm 42 and 43, these are the first two Psalms of what's called the book two of Psalms. And after starting, uh, um, first of all, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. There's parallelism there. The way the longing, right. The longing for sustenance for for really survival Mm -hmm. the deer needs the water to survive i need god to survive he goes on for four verses then he says why am i so discouraged why is my heart so sad i'll put my hope in god i'll praise him again my savior as my god he goes on and he talks more then in verse 11 he comes back and says why am i so discouraged why am i so why is my heart so sad i'll put my hope in god finishes up then in chapter 43, chapter in Psalm 43, he goes on and in 43, 5 says, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Mm-hmm. I'll put my hope in God. So he, he literally repeats the same things. Now, there is parallelism there, parallelism there, parallelism takes place between lines, but there's also this repetitive structure, which is another form of parallelism. Right. So... You read that, and you come away saying, what's the main point? Oh, why am I discouraged? Why am I sad? Instead of doing that, I need to put my hope in God. I'll praise him again, my Savior and my God. Yeah. So you look at the rest of Psalm 42 and 43, and the rest of it really is talking about that. The deer needs water to survive. I need God to survive. Why am I discouraged and sad? I will hope in God. That's my water. That's the river that feeds me. Think about we're talking through the book of or uh, the book of Genesis right now in the story of Joseph. Every time Joseph gets put in a new situation, what happens? He gets he becomes Potiphar's uh, slave. And Potiphar puts him in charge of his right. entire household, right. and he was second to none except for Potiphar, and right. he was in charge of everything. And then it's Pharaoh. He or no, well, no. Then, then it's, it's the, the jail. jailer. He goes yeah. to jail, and then it's he is second to none except except for the, the jailer, jailer, right? And, and then and it's then Pharaoh. Pharaoh, right? Yeah. And and what do we see each time? God was with him. God yeah. was with him. God was with him. And that's the point. That's right. the event. That's taking place. That's the salvation history that's taking place. Right. God will see you through even the tough times. So even though that is a narrative that's that's telling a story of something that actually happened, the author is using elements, poetic elements of parallelism to draw your eye to go, oh, wait. He always prospered yep. because God was with him. Yep. 
and you see it over and over and over yep, again. Yep, and it's yep. there, so you recognize it. And the actual words are repeated over and over it again. Says in exactly Hebrew, the same. our translations sometimes mess that up. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was. There's That's also cool. like the the English proverb of like, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Right, right. And so a man to fish Parallelism. repeats. Right. But what changes? Well, you give a man and it's for a day. If you give him the fish, if you teach him how to fish, it's for a lifetime. And so our eye is drawn to, oh, it kind of repeated, but it was different. Well, then you're supposed to go. Well, wait, what was different? Oh, if you give somebody something. They don't learn a lesson. They don't learn to hold. Right. But if you teach it to them, it's lasting. Right. right? right. And so that's the takeaway. Yeah. The the parallel is just to draw your eye to it. Okay. So that's okay. that's one way. Um, that's parallelism. Another form of poetry is uh, simile, and that's when you see, um, sim. As the deer longs for water, so I long for you. There's a simile there. Yes. Yep. Uh, oh, man. Sorry. I got pushed down here. Uh, yeah, like synonyms. Uh, like if you see if you see synonyms used as well, right. that can be uh, another way of, of understanding poetry in Hebrew writings is choosing words that mean the same thing, uh-huh. but using Putting different words. Putting them in successive lines. Yeah. Right. Um, and that just goes, hey, this must be important. Yeah. So um, what kind of books – by and large, use poetry. Well, Psalms, for that's sure. That's the big one, right? Yeah, that's, that's the biggie. That's the really big one. Because it's it's literally songs. Right, right. And, and you know, if we think about it, songs are poetry. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, it's word pictures. And you pretty frequently in the narrative literature in the Old Testament, in Genesis, in Joshua, uh, you get song, you get judges uh, from time to time. They will sing songs. And they write the whole song down. Yep. Um, some other books that you're going to see lots of poetry in are going to be like wisdom literature, like Proverbs. Yep. or Because Proverbs can be poetic in their right. nature. Um, song of Songs, you'll see that uh, yeah. in there a lot. A lot of figurative language. A and, lot of prophecy has poetry. Oh, my gosh. The prophets lean yeah. heavily on, on poetry. Right. Um, so where do we get it wrong when reading poetry? Can we get it wrong if we try to make poetry too literal? Yes, that is exactly what okay. I was thinking. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, th that that gets really difficult, right? Like, let's think about that. If I read, like, Psalm 23, and it's, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, God is not literally forcing David to lay down in green pastures. Right. David is saying, God takes care he of me. He rests me. Yeah. I get to rest. Like, there's rest in him. I, he's like a shepherd to me. You know, God's not literally our shepherd because we're not literally sheep, but we're like sheep. Yeah. And he's like a shepherd. Yeah. You know, it, it's a way yeah. of describing him in a <laughs> symbolic way and the way he interacts with us, right? Right. Um, but in a similar way, we can't go too overboard in the literal direction, but we can't go too overboard in the symbolic direction and just go, oh, it's meaningless because it's not meaningless. The, the, the word pictures yeah. point to a higher truth. Yeah. And that is that God is taking care of us. So, um, I've been 
watching The Chosen. Okay. One of the sections that really stood out to me in the second season is when Jesus starts planning the Sermon on the Mount. And it shows him literally in months of preparation Mm. leading up to it. Mm. Well, the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is straight poetry. There's repetition. There's parallelism. Uh, He put significant thought and time into preparing this Mm -hmm. in a way that people would remember it. He knew that they're going to remember poetry more than if I just say, hey, y'all ought to be this way. (laughs) Right. Well, okay. Think about it. The people, the like famous quotes. Yeah, they're never just like just a random sentence. They're sound. Yeah. They're significant yeah. in the way they come across. Do you know what I read? I read that Martin Luther King's famous uh, speech, "I Have a Dream," mm-hmm. in Washington D.C. It was the second time that he gave that speech. He had given that speech before, almost word for word, and it bombed. Really? Yeah, yeah. But he pulled it out when he went to Washington, D.C., and man, it started a movement. Yeah. It it was huge. But it's poetry. It's, I mean, you look at what he does, the parallelism, the repetition, the images that he's conveying. Right. Right. That's gorgeous. And, And poetry doesn't just exist to be pretty. It carries truth. Oh, it And it helps truth. us yeah. remember that truth. Right. 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 Yeah. Very cool. So when we go to poetry, we're not really looking at events. We're looking at ideas. We're looking at emotions almost. And that's not to say that there can't be narrative being portrayed through that poetry. Right? Right. Like, um, Man, I'm trying to think of a story. Uh, like Yankee Doodle. Yankee Doodle went to town riding on his pony, <laughs> caught a feather in his hat, and called it macaroni. Like, there is a trace of something there, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I have no idea what that song is about. but <laughs> I always assumed it was... I may be getting... Uh, okay, let's go a different route. Let's go Paul Revere. Like, yeah. there are, like, songs and riddles about Paul Revere. Right. Right. Oh, it's Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem about Paul Revere. Listen, my children, and you shall hear the midnight tale of Paul Revere. Okay. So we've always uh, – what's that little – there's that little uh, hook. One if by land, two if by sea. Okay. And I on the opposite shore shall be. So we get like a fun story that still is telling – like there's – it's poetry. It's poetic. It but is. But it's is. telling – yeah. Truths through yeah. it. Yankee yeah. Doodle was a poor example. I apologize. But <laughs> um, London Bridge. <laughs> London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. You know what? Or, or the uh, – what's the um, – oh, come on. Oh, the one where you walk around in a circle. Uh, posy. Uh, ring around the Ring posy. around the Ring around ro- the rosy. Pocket full of posy. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That's a plague song. Oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's like teaching kids how to, how to avoid, you know, supposedly avoid the plague or die. Okay. Which, I mean, is super dark, but like point being, it was to inform children or at least try to, right, through the use of poetry. Um, 
the point is the Bible does that too, much more effectively. Um, <laughs> but that's that's the whole idea, is poetry can have a narrative inside of it. We can't forget that. So when we approach poetry, we need to be looking for concepts, ideas, what that's it is that's – yeah. yeah. And we probably need to focus instead of who, what, when, where, why, and how, look on things that are repeated. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. That's carrying the idea of the of the uh, genre. Yep. Third one, wisdom. Okay. Wisdom literature, um, generally going to be con- uh, collections of wise sayings and practical stories that teach the reader or the listener to be ethical, and it helps shape their moral character. And that's kind of the idea of a lot of okay. the the uh, wisdom literature. Uh, examples of this are going to be Proverbs, Job, yeah. Ecclesiastes. Yeah. You could even kind of lump Ruth in there. You could even kind of lump Psalm of Solomon in there. Okay. Um, just Ruth – I mean Ruth's just got some basic applications with the concept okay. of like, you know, how to treat your friends right and that right. sort of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You, you'll gotcha. often see Ruth will kind of get like the parentheses spot on the wisdom literature. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like – and kind of this one. Um but the the whole idea is you're supposed to be looking for the moral of the story okay. when reading wisdom literature. Okay. That's not to say, once again, it can be narrative it okay. can, in ways. It can be poetic in ways. But the point of wisdom literature is that you pull the moral from the story. Okay. Is that fair? So... Typically, it's two lines, could be three, four, five lines. For Proverbs. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's how they were. I mean, everybody knows, like, you know, you've always heard, like, you know, Confucius say, you know, like the Chinese Proverbs and stuff. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Proverbs are are generally going to be just quick little everyday applicational concepts. Right. Uh, You you have one pulled up right now? Just go ahead. I would just – I just – yeah, so Proverbs nineteen one: better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and a fool. Uh, okay. So you saw parallelism there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's with the point of teaching you wisdom. Right, 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 right. Be honest. Be honest. Don't worry about money. Be honest. Then verse 2, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. Totally different. Totally different idea. It's – that's kind of where I was going uh, when you look at Proverbs. Don't assume that these five verses belong together. They could be five different ideas. So, I mean, it, it's almost like a proverb itself could could honestly be like a subset of wisdom literature because it yeah. reads entirely different. Right. Right? Like right. Song of Solomon for instance, is going to read like – it's like a That's one cohesive a narrative. Yeah, yeah. But it's all poetic. Right. And it's telling right. the story of two lovers. Ecclesiastes. It's one cohesive narrative. Uh, futility. Everything right. is, everything is he, futile. He's looking back on life. And he looks – yeah, he looks at wealth and he looks at fame and he looks at power. And it's he all says, from one man's perspective. Right, yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas Proverbs – I mean we have a lot of – Evidence supporting the fact that, you know, it, it, we assume Solomon compiled Proverbs. You know, we we maybe don't know that for sure. But whoever did compile Proverbs 
clearly borrowed a lot of these tropes from other uh, proverbs of other nations that predated right. when he wrote this down. He's borrowing these things, but that doesn't make them wrong. They're still true. They're true to who right, God is right, and who, right. what God calls us to be, right? So like these are just kind of a gathering of sayings that the, the, the author of this book has probably heard yeah. and said, hey, these are all really important and they fit with who God's called his people to be. They're actually clues inside Proverbs as to who compiles it. The first 22 chapters are probably from Solomon, then twenty two seventeen. listen to the words of the wise. Mm. Okay, now these are words of the wise. Then you come to twenty five one. These are more Proverbs of Solomon collected by the advisors of King Hezekiah of Judah. Mm-hmm. So more from Solomon, but they weren't included in the first collection. So now Hezekiah later on uncovers them and throws them into the book. And then the last chapter is King Lemuel and King Agur. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, Job. Job is going to read as one cohesive story. Yes. Um, but once again, there's narrative found in Job. It doesn't mean that the story of Job isn't true. Proverbial wisdom. Right. Right. Like right, it, right. it probably very, I mean, it, it likely is true. It like a literal story. It rings true. Yeah. yeah. It, there's nothing yeah. about it that makes me want to say this is just like parable. Right. You know what I mean? Which we'll I get mean, to. I see stuff happening to people today and I think, gosh, they're contemporary Job. Right. It happens. Right. But but that's the beauty of Job's story is even yeah. though it is likely narrative in a way, it is – equally wisdom literature and it's poetic in ways and it's teaching us a greater truth even in the midst of a literal account so yeah it's it's very interesting how these things intermingle but we've got to be we got to be cognizant of all of them we got to be aware that they're all happening or else we're going to miss layers so again we're looking for concepts and we're not necessarily looking for a concept to build on the previous verse. It might be totally different. We just need to be aware of that. Right. We we've got to we've got to go is this one giant story or not? And right. honestly, Proverbs is the only one that isn't. Yeah, that's true. Of the big that's wisdom true. books. So Proverbs, let's put it in its own category. Yeah. You've got to read it totally different than the others. Yes. Um but yeah, same the idea. Others, you're finding a narrative in there, but look for the wisdom. Look for the mm-hmm. for the for the principles behind it. Fourth one. Yep. Prophecy. Prophecy. Ooh. This is God speaking to His people through certain followers of His that are called prophets. They're kind of the right. mouthpiece to right. God in these situ- uh, situations, and uh, they they generally go speaking to Israel. Uh, God's people, because these are all in the Old Testament. Right? right. They go speaking to Israel to correct and guide Israel out of wickedness and sin and back to the path of righteousness towards God. Wait right? a minute. Wait a minute. Isn't prophecy about telling the future? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's how we talk about it today, isn't it? But um, that's that's not really. And it's not. Well, I mean, no. in a way. There are Old Testament prophets. That make no reference to the future at all. But, I mean, many of them do, is the thing. A lot of them It's always the coming judgment of God. Right. Right? Yeah. But it's really them just reiterating the truth of God's word publicly. I look at the prophets sort of as the editorial page. 
this is people talking about what's going on around us and what is really happening. It's not just the event. It's how God's salvation history fits into this event. So when you have Israel being carried off to exile, the prophet says, see, yeah, <laughs> God told you if you disobeyed, he was going to take you away and now he's doing it. Yeah. So it's social commentary on what's going on. And for the prophet, the social commentary is equally valid for what's going on as it is for what's going to happen tomorrow because right. God has said that too. And I mean a lot of them are trying to hold back Israel from coming judgment. Right. right? And so it's – yeah, a lot of it's pointing to the past and going, look what happened. Look what you did. Look what you've done. You're This is evil. And because you did that, this is how God is punishing you. But if you turn around – Here's what he promises you right, for the future. Right. So, I mean, it's it's with the hope of comfort. Yeah. It generally doesn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they're trying to do. Um, and so, you know, the examples of this are going to be the four major prophets. Right. Which are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the 12 minor prophets who are going to be Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And it is very important to note something that cannot be stressed enough. Major and minor are referring to the size of the books they wrote. That's right. Not, not the to message. their importance. <laughs> okay. They are all equally important. This is not about their authority or their standing. It's just about how big the writings are. And they spread from about uh, 600 and something before Christ up to about uh, – 400. Mm. So they span 400 years. Yep. Yep. Um, it's also important to note a lot of poetry. Yeah. A lot, like we said earlier, a lot of poetry in these books um, with the purpose of, like we said, correcting God's people. Right. Right. right, Te right. Teaching them to follow in his ways, to, to return to God. Um, so where do we get these wrong? Um we can't just read these books like they're written directly to us. We have to consider the audience, the time, the place, the, everything you mentioned earlier, the W's. What were they? Who, what, where, when, and why? Right. Who, what, where, when, why. Yeah. Um, we have to consider the context and go, oh, this isn't about me. This is about somebody else. And then we look at what's being told to them and why it's being told to them. And then we take that and go, what's the message there? Okay, now how does this apply to my life? Right, and then right, we can right. turn around and apply it in our own lives. I got a good example of that. Okay. Okay, in the book of Isaiah, I forget where it is exactly. It's either Isaiah 7 or it's Isaiah 12. He says, uh, the virgin will give birth. Yeah. And in Hebrew, he doesn't actually say virgin. He says young woman. And that word for young woman can mean a married young woman. And he goes on to say, the young woman will give birth. And before that child knows how to distinguish between good and evil, the nations that you fear are going to be destroyed. So four or five years from now, uh, you're not going to have a problem. And his name will be? And his name will be 
Emmanuel. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, Isaiah is probably talking about his own life. Mm-hmm. He's talking about a child that she will have, and before that child is four or five years old, typically roughly the age of accountability. Uh, he says, uh, I, I forget which Ahaziah I think it is, uh, you fear Babylon and Egypt before uh, this child is four or five years old. Uh, those two nations are going to be gone. And they were. Yeah. They were. They were destroyed. The second thing about that is the use of the name Emmanuel. Um, God is with us. Now, he uses it there, but he uses it one chapter later. And when he does, it is not a promise. It's a curse. Mm. He says, you keep on uh, sinning the way you're sinning. And beware, because Emmanuel, yeah. God is with you. And if God is with you when you're sinning, look out, brother. But you get to the New Testament, and it's totally different. God is with us. Right. He's come to save us. Um, it's just gorgeous. It is just absolutely beautiful. I used to preach a sermon on that. Uh, Emmanuel can be good or bad. It all depends on how you want to receive him. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, but that's still true for us, right? Oh yeah, I mean, and that's I mean that's coming into like apocalyptic literature, which it's, it's coming there. Yeah, we we will get to soon. Um, but yeah, so okay, I mean, so there's that's the prophetic books. Yeah, um, the gospels. Uh, wait a minute before we leave the prophetic books. So what you need to do? Pay attention to the history of what's going on. Every prophet, except for I think three, identify the exact time that they prophesy. Yes. Spend some time to look that up, see what was going on, and then go back and read the prophet. It makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah. Oh, that's what he's talking about. So, so I mean, with the prophets, what you get is essentially a poetic narrative. Right. But you need the context to that poetic exactly. narrative. And you get a social commentary that makes more sense when you understand what's happening. Right. And understand that the prophet in that situation, the the point of prophecy is to tell people the truth of God's word to lead them to God, essentially. Yep. Fair yep. enough? Yep. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, so then, yeah, then we apply it to our lives however we can. Uh, fifth is the Gospels. Yeah. So Gospels are interesting because they are, they're narratives. They're narratives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they talk a lot about events. Yeah. But. Well, well, they're also they're they're biographies yes. in a way, right? Um, which oh, we don't have very to cover. directly. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to cover biography. It's just it's a it's a life story, right? Um, but they are proclamations regarding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they do that by using firsthand accounts of of these th- of these things yeah. that took place, right? Of the right. life of Jesus. Um, and so what we have to realize about what the Gospels are doing is each of the four Gospels have a different reason or a different spin of okay. what they're trying to get across. Oh, okay. And yeah, so we yeah, have to yeah, be yeah, aware yeah. of what gotcha. audience each yes. of these is being written to and, yes. and what it's trying to specifically say about Jesus because they each kind of have their own agenda. Okay. And so... We have to be very aware of that when reading each different gospel. Fair enough? Yep. 
cool. Uh, examples are there's only four of them. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't listen to these atheist YouTube channels that every time they're like, this gospel wasn't put in the Bible. And you're like, have you ever read why it wasn't put in the Bible? <laughs> have you ever read that book? Yeah. Because I have. <laughs> it does not read like the gospels in the Bible. <laughs> just, yeah, get off YouTube, kids. It's bad for your brain. Uh, just kidding. Stay on there. But but listen to the right people. Um yeah, the, there's four. There's four Gospels. There always have been four Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and the way we get it wrong, as I kind of already said it, is we can forget the purpose of each individual Gospel, and we can miss big things that are trying to be said. Uh, the one that came to mind first is the one I hear everybody complain about. You start the book of Matthew, and what do you get? It's a genealogy. Right. And you're like, why do I have to read this <laughs> genealogy? And if you don't realize that Matthew's point of his gospel is to prove to a Jewish audience that Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah from the line right. of King David, right. tracing all the way back to Abraham, you yep. know, like if you don't see that, you're going to miss the entire purpose of what Matthew is trying to say. Right. Yeah. Um, same goes for like John. John is trying to prove that Jesus is God. And so everything he's going to say is going to be cast through that lens. Right. Um, and John's going to read a little different than the other three as yes. well. Yes. Um, but we have to keep in mind the purpose that each one of these writers is looking for. So once again, Fair enough. Context, context, go yeah. learn the context of each of these books. Do you have anything to say about the Gospels? No, not really. Nothing. I, th I think you hit it. They're pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's that they're a narrative, but they're about the life of Jesus. Right. And they're right. based on eyewitness accounts. Yes. And that's the big thing to keep in yep. mind. And and once again, I mean, context matters. Um, so after that, we get to parables because I figured if we're talking about the Gospels, we kind of have to talk about parables. Yeah, parables actually <clears throat> exist outside of the Gospels, but it is Jesus that really, he pounds this, he takes this this genre and he runs with it. I mean, it's his preferred teaching style. It is, it really 100%. is. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, which is really interesting. Um, you know, something we, we haven't said is the Old Testament is considered Hebrew meditation literature. Yeah. That the purpose of, you know, the law and all the prophets is that, like I said earlier, you chew on it. You sit on it. You think about it. And the longer you think about it, the greater it opens up to you, the more you see, right? right? right the, you you right. realize that this story that looked like a little kid's story is miles deep. Yeah. Like, it's so true. It's right. truer than true, right. right? That's what parables do. Um, and so they're poetic in nature. Uh, they they honestly they sound kind of like fairy tales, a lot of the time. A little bit, a little bit. Like not I think, always. No, no, but like I guess in the way that a fairy tale is teaching a greater truth. Yeah, yeah. A parable, like like I'm thinking like Grimm's fairy tales. You know, like yeah. That you know, there's an old lady in the woods and she right. seems nice and she tries to lure you in with candy, but you can't just trust every old woman that you know what I mean. <laughs> like it's teaching your kids, hey, don't just like think every stranger's intentions for you right. are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there there's a nugget of truth tucked in there. Right. Well, Jesus is taking this to a whole other level. These are truer than true, like I right, said, right. but they're symbolic in nature. One of the characteristics of parables 
is it ends with a short statement where Jesus actually summarizes, this is what I'm really trying to teach. Right. And you're going to see... So you look for that. Right. Yeah. And and he's going to do this with like hyperbole. He's going to do this with simile. Yeah. Um, And the thing we've got to... uh, Actually, let's do some examples. Um, I'm thinking like parable of the sower. Yeah. Right? So the parable of the sower, that's one that's not at all like fairy tale. That's... You could almost see Jesus out teaching in the open air, looking around. He sees a farmer sowing seed. And he says, so a a man went out to sow. (laughs) He said, look right over there. See what he's doing. Right. Right. When he comes to the end, what that parable is about is receiving God's word, right? It's about the way you receive God's word. Well, let's get into it a little bit. What's I mean, so so there's a a farmer sowing seed and – well, are are you going like four soils? Is that yep. okay? So basically, he's scattering seed all along, but certain things happen to the right, seed, right? Right, right? Like some of the seed takes, and some, some of, it of the seed falls a on harvest, a path, right? And, and birds it, come it, and they yeah, eat it. They come and drag it away. Some right. falls on the rocks, and so the roots can't take. Right. Some it, it sprouts, but then it dies right away. Right. Some falls in. Weedy in, in, soil. Well, yeah, it gets in soil, but the the thistles and the right. thorns they choke they out choke the roots out. and it dies. And then, just like there are three bad soils, there are three good soils. One soil produces thirty to one. One produces sixty to one, and one produces a hundred to one. Mm-hmm. So you have these six kind of soils, right? And the whole point there is that. The that faith. I mean, it, it really, the, this isn't the seed faith. Is that the idea? It's the gospel. It's, fall, uh, the, it's no, landing on you. No, the seed is the word because they go to Jesus and they say, "Yeah, what? What is? Well, that'd be the gospel." They go to Jesus and they say, "What does this parable mean?" And he says, "Well, the seed is the word, right? So, seed that falls on the path are the people that just don't even pay any attention. Right. They just go their own way, right?" The seed that falls in rocky soil, they hear the word and they say, oh, man, that's great. That's good. But then life comes in and And then they walk away. Seed that falls in weedy soil, I don't know how else to say that. They see it, they catch it, they stick with it, but eventually life gets way too hard hard and they, they end up leaving. And then you have the three good, 30, 60, and 100 to 1. And at the end of the parable of the sower, which is all about how do you receive God's word, Jesus says, let he who has ears to hear listen. Right. I mean, that's what the parable is about. But, listen to God's word. Receive it. But but even that is figurative in nature because everyone has ears. Yeah. Yeah. So he's talking about but something more than he is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. And so this is like, this goes deeper than just being human. No, this is, are you listening? Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Um, I, Rich Man and Lazarus. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, that 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 one goes kind of deep. I yeah. mean, that's the Pharisees are talking a big game. I mean, <laughs> he, he's he's responding to them because they're deeming themselves sons of Abraham, right? And kind of one of the subtexts of that parable is it's Eliezer, it's Lazarus, a Greek form for Eliezer. And Abraham's Who servant. is not a Jew. 
Right. He is from Damascus. Right. That is the beloved servant. He's the one that's going to inherit all of Abraham's good. Right. Until God steps in and gives him a son. Right. And so in in that story, you've got you've got Lazarus, which, right. like you just said, is the equivalent of Eleazar. Right. Um that there's a rich man, there's Lazarus. Yeah. The rich man won't help Lazarus, treats him poorly. When they die, there's this great chasm between them. The rich man is in this dark, shadowy place. Lazarus is in the the bosom of Abraham, Abraham. (laughs) is how he words it. And um, there's this divide. They can't really communicate with one another, right? Right. But the the rich man can see Lazarus, though, so he's kind of tormented by what he's doing. Um, And so that's... That's the parable, essentially. Yeah. But yeah. it's pointing to the story of Abraham, and he's yeah. saying, no, look, yeah. the one who isn't even the Jew is the one who's going to inherit the blessings of Abraham, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what's being said there. It's not yeah. a story about hell. Right. There's a right, deeper right, truth. Right, 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 But we can get caught up, and we can miss the deeper truth to because... go, look, Jesus just told us what heaven and hell are like. It's right. like, that's not what the point that's of the story is. That's not what it is at all. Yeah. Um, and the third one is the man who buys the field. Oh yeah, yeah or yeah. the or the pearl, whichever yeah. one you want to go with. But essentially, I think they happen one right after the other. Yeah, so they're kind of saying the same thing. It's the kingdom of it, which is parallelism and parable. <laughs> there you go <laughs> to teach a narrative truth uh, through figurative language. Wow, look at us! See, they all pile up. But um, you've got this field. The man finds the field. He finds treasure buried in the field. He goes and sells everything he's got so he can go buy that field. Turn around, the pearl's the same thing. He sees this pearl. He wants that pearl more than anything in the world. He gives away everything so he can have that pearl. The kingdom of God is like the field. The kingdom of God is like the pearl. It should be – it should mean more to us than anything. We should give up everything for it, right? And so there's these great truths buried in these stories. And the more you sit and unpack them, the more you're like, oh, man, that's my life. Well, that's the life of that person. I've seen that. I've seen that play out that way. Um, And so where we can get this wrong is we can read – like we can miss it totally. If we just listen to it like it's like literal or we don't sit and chew on it, that's what happened to many of the people in these crowds. Um, At one point, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're like, we don't get it. And he's like, it's about the – the four, uh, the four soils. Yeah, and he's yeah, like, "Okay, yeah. let me break it down for you guys because I know you care." <laughs> but like, think how many people would have never right. known. Yeah, you know, because they just they they couldn't sit and 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 chew on it and and uh, right. allow the Holy Spirit to unveil that for them because they just walked away from it. I mean, they're the yeah. people in the story, right? Yeah, I mean, right, that's right, the thing. Right, yeah. Um. So we can read way too literally into these parables and miss it, or we can just dismiss them as stories and miss it um, and never find the truth inside of them. Uh, For example, you know, faith is not literally, or the word, I should say, the word of God or the gospel, however you want to say it, is not literally a seed, but it's like a seed, right? you know, and our hearts aren't literally soil, but we're like soil, you know, Um, and so it it kind of conveys how faith is rooted in us, how the word roots itself in us, how it grows in us or how it doesn't grow in us if we don't accept it. Um, you know, like we said about the Lazarus and the rich man, like we can get caught in the weeds and go, oh, this is a story about what heaven and hell are like. And it's like, 
That's no. not the point. The That's point right. is that those who love God, the humble, the meek, the oppressed, that's who God is here for. It's not the people that think they don't need God. It's not the people that that think they're good already. You know, it's it's the broken that God came for. Yeah. Um and then, you know, the, the you know, the kingdom of God is not literally treasure in a field and it's not literally right. a pearl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it should be what the most valuable desire. thing. Yeah. Exactly. It should be that thing that you want most. Uh, so that's that's how we should think about those. Okay. Um, anything else there? Nope. Epistles. Yeah. Uh, the epistles are letters or communications to specific churches or individuals, and they were written to address certain topics for certain people. Now, there are two kinds of epistles. One is just what you said, a letter to a specific church. But they all there are also examples of letters that are written to... Many churches, and it's meant to be circulated. So you got things like Hebrews, you've got things like uh, uh, First uh, First John. You have both First and Second Peter, where the the introduction of those says, "I'm writing to a group of people." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. So um, what what examples would you like to give for? Did you have more? I mean, you just gave a couple. It, right, of general epistles, but uh, epistles written to specific churches, the letter to the Romans, to the Corinthians, yep. to the Galatians. There's a specific church in mind, yes. and Paul is writing to them about what they happen to be going through. Yep, cool. Um, so that's really it. I mean, the the epistle is pretty straightforward. It's a letter, yeah. Generally, I mean, that's the idea. It's and a it's lot a of times, a lot of epistles make reference to a former communication that typically Paul, but whoever's writing it, may have received. So there is a back and forth here, and so that kind of leads to where we screw it up. Is we don't always stop to consider what was previously said. Yeah. Yeah. When that is crucial to understanding what the point of the letter you're getting to read even is, you know, because the epistles, we, we've only got part of the communication. We don't have the whole communication. We just see part of it. And so we have to conclude uh, through context what is trying to be said here, what's trying to be stated here. Um, for example, a way we get this wrong, uh, how we can misuse this by just applying it all willy nilly to our lives today. Um, in first Corinthians, Paul says women shouldn't speak up in church. Right. And we take that and we broadly throughout history have applied that in ways. Saying women shouldn't speak in church. Women shouldn't speak in church. It's in the Bible. (laughs) The thing people don't take into consideration is the church in Corinth would have been located closely to the Delphi Oracle. Right. About 20 miles away. Where women would go. And they would yell their questions to this woman who is basically all she's high on methane yeah, meth gas. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she's drugged out of her mind in a cave. <clears throat> and they shout questions at her. And Randy and I were talking about this earlier. Likely the, the loudest woman would get her answer, right? Because yeah. that's the one she's going to hear. Right. The oracle's going to hear. And she's going to give him a prophecy or whatever. And so that's the culture of the area. They're used to doing this. And it appears that that's what Paul is talking about. It's in that section 
that Paul says, I want everything done decently and orderly. Right. And what's more disorderly and indecent than a woman going, hey, preacher, hey, preacher, <laughs> what Jesus do then? What you? And Paul's like, hey, shut up. Like, stop. Don't do that. Now, he doesn't do that anywhere else. No. In fact, in the book of Romans, he talks about churches in the house of prominent women. Right. Which uh, seems odd. Yeah. The first convert in Asia is Lydia, a woman. Mm -hmm. And she then holds a church in her house. Right. So we can we can get that a little twisted up if we're not yeah. careful. We got to be yeah. careful with that. Um, so once again, I mean, the big thing with epistles, it's a pretty simple one, but it is a literary genre. So we had to cover it. But context matters, y'all. Yeah. Like it, yeah. uh, here as much as anywhere else for sure. Um, and, and think about what were the previous communications. That's the big one here. Um, and that leads us to our last one that we're going to talk about for today. And that is apocalyptic literature. This is the rap music of the, the <laughs> biblical genres. That is the weirdest th way of saying that, but all right. Well, think about rap music. It, it, it conveys uh, strong emotions with, with uh, almost violent images. Yeah, sometimes. Well, and that's I mean, apocalyptic so, so literature. Gangster rap. <laughs> gangster rap. Gangster yeah, rap. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, man, now you got me tied up on this rap thing. Yeah, you get you get into like double and triple entendres and stuff, where oh, like yeah, yeah. things unfold in lyrically multiple ways and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of wild. Um, so apocalyptic literature is gonna use poetic language way more than probably any other type of literature. Okay, you're gonna see it. Tons here. And that's why people struggle with it, honestly, is because it's so poetic. And actually, let's – before we dig in too much, the word apocalypse doesn't mean what people think it means. Everybody thinks it's like somehow pertaining to the end of the world and they they think that because right. the book of Revelation is pertaining to the end of the world. But an apocalypse is a revealing. Right. That's all that means, that something is being revealed. Yes. Right? So it's prophetic. Yeah. It's it's trying to show you, like, hey, this is the truth of God's word. Uh, turn to God because something will come at some point. You right. know, like there, but it's it's poetic. There is a narrative, it seems, but it's buried. Like it's so buried under all this poetry right. and figurative language. Now there are four, if I've got it right, four sections of apocalypse in uh, the Bible. You got the book of Revelation, the whole book. Mm -hmm. Second half of the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. You have Ma uh, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 and Mark chapter 13. Is that the Olivet Discourse? Olivet and... Discord. It's also called uh, Little Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. That sounds right to me. Um, and so the best way to understand what apocalyptic literature is saying is to notice the symbols and the figurative language being used and then compare it against the previous language used throughout scripture and use that context to go, okay, what was it talking about here? And then go back to Revelation or to Daniel and go, okay, now what's it saying here then? I have heard, and I don't know that, I, frankly, I haven't studied Revelation a whole lot, 
but I've heard that Revelation quotes and alludes more to the Old Testament than any other book in the I New think Testament. it's like seventy something percent. Okay. Is yeah. is where it falls on that language. That's and, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, with that said though, where we screw this up, and I mean, I cannot tell you how much of this like I'm so tired of these books telling me who the Antichrist is going to be. Like, I'm so burnt out on it because it's It's been just, around since the very beginning. I know, but they're like <laughs> the hokiest, stupidest books, and everybody buys them every time there's a new one. And they're like, oh, this time it's right. right. And it's like, listen, maybe, just maybe, <laughs> we're not supposed to be superimposing our current day model on right. top of that book. The things happening today are not what it's talking about in Revelation, Revelation is uh, – that's not – I did not word that properly. <laughs> it is not talking about the literal events that are happening today. It's talking about themes and ideas right, and these right. greater concepts, right? And that's not to say that – like for instance, most of the world through most of human history believed that Nero Caesar was the beast. Yeah. And I think there's reason to think that that's possible. That doesn't mean that the book of Revelation doesn't – that there aren't going to be other antichrists, right? right? That there aren't going to be other – right? Th that it's not cyclical, that it's not right. like this thing that kind of happens over and over again until there is finally one final stand right. yeah. with good and evil. It's like there's always going to be a Babylon. There's always going to be antichrists. There's always going to be – but then finally God's going to come back and he's going to put an end to all this. Yeah. That's how I see it personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um but the idea here is is understanding the themes, and the only way to do that is by knowing your Bible. Right. So, I mean, really, that's the takeaway with apocalyptic literature. If you don't know the Bible, you're not going to be able to just pick up the book of Revelation and understand it. Right. You're going to have to have studied the rest of Scripture yeah. to understand the book of Revelation. And it doesn't work by just superimposing our modern day on top of it. Right. Fair enough? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did it, y'all. We did it. That was fun. <laughs> we did it. That's fun. Um, so. Uh, Zach, if you ever ask me you want to have some fun, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I know how to have actual fun. This was just literary genre fun. Gotcha. Which okay. is a different kind okay. of fun. Yeah. yeah. Not, not the Very. kind most people want to have. <laughs> hey, but hear me out. All right, look. I know this is a lot. But if you understand these basic concepts, reading your Bible it will be important. so yeah. different. It will be so different. You will be able to stop and you, you're going to pay attention to things in a way you didn't before. Yeah, yeah. And that's important when reading yeah. scripture. You know, this is the whole, do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? Yes. Open them up. Open them up, baby. Jesus is trying to tell you something. <laughs> like, so make it happen, y'all. Um I hope this helped you out. What were some other genres we didn't cover? Legal. Oh, yeah, the know, law. Leviticus. And, uh, yeah. There's too many laws. There's a lot there. We can't do it. A, uh, genealogies. Mm, we kind uh, of touched on that. We we did a little bit, but that's almost another genre in itself. There are large sections of numbers, look at, look at numbers. Deuteronomy, Genesis. Mm -hmm. Even Matthew and Luke have mm -hmm. extended genealogies. Yeah. Uh, what else? I brought satire up. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. They're there. They're I'm, there. I'm sure there are others. Hold on. Hold on. Let me see if I can 
nope, that's it. Um, that that we did them all. Okay. So, anyways, <laughs> quick quick Google, quick Goog. Um, all right, y'all. So, thanks for listening. If you've got questions for us, make sure to send those over to saltysaintspodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. I've actually got some email this week. Did or, you? I did. I didn't know that it warranted an entire episode. Maybe it will at okay. some point. It was getting, it. getting back into some Heiser talk a little oh, bit. Had okay. some questions okay. in that area talking about the sons of God and okay. stuff like that. It was okay. a very interesting email. So thank nice. you for that. Nice. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear your prayer requests. Please send those to us. Like we've said, we'd love to be able to, to pray for you. And uh, to talk with you through whatever it is you're going through, uh, make sure to check out our friends at lifeaudio.com. They got lots of fun goodies over there, lots of podcasts for you to check out. And um, until next time, stay salty. If you're hearing this right now, you're probably like, who the heck is this and why are they playing during my favorite podcast? And I get it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to introduce myself. My name is Trevor Tyson, and I'm the host of Trevor Talks, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. I just want to invite you, if you love podcasts, if you love music, if you love books and love hearing from the people who create it, come check us out at Trevor Talks. Simply go to Google or Life Audio, type in Trevor Talks, and it'll pop on up. Hope you have a great day.